And hallelujah, what a Savior. That Savior is spoken of in Luke's gospel, if you'll open in the word. In Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Luke 22, verse 7 begins. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Verse 8. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a water jar will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large upper room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Well, by now you have figured out that the outline of our worship is a little different today. Not to detract from the Lord's Supper, which is the high point of our service. But hopefully you'll see in a while, it's, it's for a very good reason. And I am so glad that you are here this morning at the start of Holy Week, uh, the most important week on the Christian calendar for those of you who follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I just wanted to say to each of you who call the Springfield Church of Christ, your home, you have no idea what a privilege it is to read scriptures with you every Lord's Day. You have no idea what a privilege it is to be a preacher, to teach God's word. And this is an important week for us to be together. And wherever you're at on your spiritual walk with Christ, on your journey, I'm praying for you. And wherever you're going this week, I hope that you'll come back next weekend to celebrate together the single greatest event in history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to thank all of you that are volunteering already to assist uh, with the sunrise breakfast. And if you have not signed up for that, I hope before you leave today you will do that uh, so that we know how many to prepare for. But I also want to thank you if you are greeting next week, if you're one of the gentlemen that serve up here during the worship service, uh, I, I'm just so grateful for you. And I hope that all of you will just invite big this week for our week together next week. I want to begin my message this morning by asking you to imagine you're one of the special friends of Jesus. Imagine that you're one of the 12 disciples and you're in a scene that the Bible depicts so creatively for us. You're helplessly watching a man that you spent the last three years of your life with. 
You have been inseparable and you're watching him die an agonizing death. You've been with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three years. You've listened to his teaching. You watched as he walked on water. You watched him reach out and touch the sick person and make them well. You've seen him raise the dead. You watched in astonishment as he took five loaves and two fish and fed over 5,000 in the multitude. You watched him calm storms and you and your 11 friends, you left everything to follow Jesus. Your jobs, your homes, your families, in order to be with him all the time. Jesus has turned your world upside down. And now you're slowly watching him die over a six-hour period on Good Friday. You observe as the nails go through his hands. You see his feet twitch as the spikes puncture them. You see the cross lifted up and dropped with that sickening thud in the socket in the ground as flesh is torn. You watch the blood trickle down, the human agony. You watch the side of Jesus pierced. Now let me ask you a question. Can you ever, ever imagine forgetting such a moment like that. Can you imagine as long as you live with all the drama that surrounded that moment, the emotion, the passion, the sight, the smells, the crowd, how could it ever escape your memory? Can you imagine the meaning and significance of that event ever losing its impact on you? It's an interesting question to me. Because just hours earlier, Jesus said and did something extraordinary with the closest of his friends. He says to them, eat this bread and remember. Drink this cup and remember. After three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, is Jesus really concerned that they're going to forget Frankly, the answer is yes, he is. That's exactly what he is concerned about. Not just the worldly kind of forgetfulness, not in the sense that he would slip their minds, not in the sense that one day they would say, Jesus who? He's concerned about spiritual forgetfulness. The kind of forgetfulness that leads worship to be nothing more than empty words and rituals church life that becomes really not much more than going through the motions or in some congregations through the emotions. He was concerned about the kind of spiritual forgetfulness that leads to spiritual half-heartedness, Christian lukewarmness, unsacrificial servanthood, passionless faith, empty praise. You see, Jesus was concerned about a spiritual forgetfulness that would lead some of his followers to gradually take a detour into sin. Some would take minor dives into the edges of faith. Some would take dives into tabloid-worthy sins in their life. 
He was concerned about the kind of spiritual forgetfulness that would lead some to carry their own sins and live with guilt for the rest of their life when he died to make sure they were fully free, fully forgiven, and released from their sins. And so Jesus takes the bread, and he takes the cup in that upper room, and he says, remember me. Remember. Who you are depends upon your ability to remember. Just imagine for a moment if you completely lost your ability to remember things, I know one person in this room has had a very close experience to this personally, but some of you say, Bill, I don't have to imagine that. I forget things all the time. But I want you to imagine what it would be like for a moment if, if you were completely unable to bring to mind the books that you read, the songs that you've sung, the people you love, the experiences that you've had. Imagine if, if all that were just blotted out. I want to tell you a story about a guy who was exactly like that. His name was Jimmy G, and Jimmy suffered from a disease called the Korsakoff syndrome. And it left him unable to remember anything that happened in his life since the age of 19. The doctor who treated him was a neurologist named Oliver Sacks, and he writes a book and he tells about Jimmy. He met Jimmy when he was 49 years old. And the doctor that knew him followed him for 10 years. He saw Jimmy once a week and, and usually, more than that, several times a day. And Jimmy, he would sit down, understand, to read a magazine. And by the time he got to the end of that magazine, he would have forgotten everything that he read. He could go back and read it as if for the first time again, over and over and over again. Every time Jimmy looked in the mirror, he expected to see a 19-year-old boy's face looking back at him, and he was surprised to see a gray-haired, aging 49-year-old man looking back at him. You see, Jimmy had forgotten who he was because of the disease. Who you are depends on your ability to remember, and knowing that, Jesus, in the upper room, draws on one of the most important words in the Bible. It's a word that is used repeatedly throughout Scripture, from the Old to the New Testament, and the word is remember. In Joshua, the fourth chapter, in the fourth verse, we find Joshua leading the children of Israel across the Jordan River. And as they go across, he, says, he stops them, and the Bible says there, so Joshua called together, the 12 men that he'd appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of Israelites, or the tribe of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. And in the future when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Daddy, what is this pile of rocks here? You're to tell them, that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God led us through the Jordan on dry land. And Joshua said, I want this to be a memorial. I want you to remember. All throughout the Old Testament, God says, remember. Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day 
and keep it holy. Deuteronomy 5.15, remember you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God, he brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I am your great deliverer. Whenever you see a rainbow in the sky, it's a memorial to remember. Genesis 9.12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When you celebrate the Passover and you eat unleavened bread for seven days and your children ask you, why do we do this? I want you to tell them about a time when you were spared by the blood of an innocent lamb so that they will remember over and over and over again my great love my protection, my deliverance, my compassion. And the Bible tells us again and again, remember. Now another question. Why do you think God tells us to remember so often? It's not a trick question, okay? It's because we forget. We are amazingly forgetful creatures. So on this first day of the week, at the beginning of this holy week, as we prepare for the high point of our service to gather around this table of communion where we remember. I want to talk to you about the gift that God has given you of your memory this day. And I want to talk with you about two problems, uh, both myself and you, that we have when it comes to our memory. Unfortunately, we have the basic problem first of forgetting what we should remember. We forget a lot of stuff. In fact, I want to do a little survey this morning. I want to do a little show of hands on this at the end. And I want to ask you, do you fall into any of these categories? If you have ever taken a test and forgotten the answer to a question, even though you crammed the night before, if you've ever forgotten somebody's name, or where they lived, if you've ever forgotten a birthday, and worse yet, if you've ever forgotten your anniversary, if you've ever forgotten where you put your car keys, if you have ever walked out of Walmart or Kroger's and asked the question, where did I park? If you've ever walked out of a grocery store without purchasing what you went there to buy in the first place, if you've ever forgotten to pick up your child from school or practice, if you've ever had to throw out a plant, even a cactus, <laughs> because you forgot to water it, if you've ever walked into a room and you looked around and at that moment you cannot remember what you walked in that room for, if you've ever sat down to watch a movie on Netflix and got two-thirds of the way through the movie and thought, I've seen this before, and it was last week, okay? Um, if, if you've ever forgotten something, raise your hand for me this morning. Okay. One study of 2,000 adults said, most of us, we forget four things a day. On the average, we forget 1,400 things a year. And yeah, you guys knew it already. But ladies, the study also showed 56% of men really do rely on you in a relationship to remember things for them, okay? We've all forgotten something. 
We amazingly are forgetful people. And according to the Bible, what's especially astounding is our ability to forget God. Our capacity to forget the God who loves us. To forget the God who, who made us. For instance, when, when God delivers Israel from Egypt, he frees them from slavery. And in just a matter of days in the Bible, we find them worshiping what? A golden calf. Not the God who delivered them, a golden calf. And so Moses would say of them in Deuteronomy 32, verse 15, and Jeshurun is, is another name for Israel. Jeshurun grew flat, fat and kicked, filled with food. They became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them, and they rejected the, the rock, their savior. They made him jealous with foreign gods. They angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not gods. Gods they'd not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. He didn't just slip your mind. You forgot, meaning you're living as if God never loved you as if God never saved you, as if God was absent from your heart, your life, your experience. You forget God. Later, God said of one specific tribe of Israel, the tribe of Ephraim, in Psalm 78, he said, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, they turned their back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, and they refused to live by his law. They forgot what he'd done, the wonders he'd shown them. And you and I know it's not just Israel, is it? We all do that. Sometimes we do it in the way we respond to our spouses or our children who just want a little bit of our time, who want some of our attention, and we forget God. Sometimes we do it in the way we respond to the needy and the marginalized and we forget God. Sometimes we do it with the level of honesty and integrity when we prepare our tax returns and we forget God. And sometimes we do it indirectly in our relationship with God. The prophet Jeremiah records God's voice. Does a young woman forget her jewelry? Does a bride forget her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Hosea records, when I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. So Jesus gathers his friends in that upper room. And he says to them, remember me. It's interesting there that the word he uses is the Greek word, anamnason. Sounds a lot like the word we get amnesia from. In fact, that's exactly where we get it the negative form of the word. He's talking about remembering that you can help, that can help you avoid spiritual amnesia. He's saying when you remember, and I love this, he's saying if you do it right, if you do it the way that I'm introducing it to you here, then what was once real before becomes real now. If you remember the scene of love and sacrifice on the cross of Calvary where your hands and your feet and my hands and my feet should have been, 
when we remember it right, it becomes real again. We've done the same thing in an ordinary way in our lives time and time again. See, sometimes a song will do that. You hear a song that connects you with a moment or a certain person or a certain event, and it, it takes you back. I mean, it just brings a flood of memories. And it's like reliving that moment all over again. I was trolling YouTube not long ago, and there was a, a, a video of, of an anniversary of a couple celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. And at a certain point in the festivities, this couple stepped out onto the dance floor. And the husband who was in his 60s, he, he put his arm around his bride and they played their song. And man, you could see it in their eyes. You could see it in their posture as they were playing that song. They looked in that moment. They held each other in that moment as if the years had melted away. They didn't see gray hair and wrinkles. They didn't see bifocals. They saw none of that. It all disappeared and she was a beautiful young bride once again. He was an eager young groom. What was once real in the past became real again, all because that song helped them remember. And as I watched this YouTube video, it wasn't even a great song. It was, you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. I mean, not a great song. But wouldn't it be fun? I mean, if it really was. I mean, but when Jesus calls us to remember, he calls us to bring him to mind more than just occasionally. Because when you remember right, the God who delivered Moses from Pharaoh, who delivered Israel through the Red Sea and across the Jordan into the Promised Land, the God who hung on a cross for six hours one Friday, the God you experienced, you, when you experienced amazing grace, he'll become real to you once again. Communion is a time when it was real in the past becomes real once again. Now probably everyone here today, if there were time, you could come up here and you could share about your pile of rocks. Memories of times that God showed up in your life. When God changed you, God saved you, God forgave you, God healed you, God strengthened you, and when you remember right, God is glorified. Now, I said there are two basic problems in our memory. One is forgetting what we should remember. You already know what the other one is, right? We also tend to remember what we should forget. I think maybe this memory problem is a lot more painful for some of you than others. John Ortberg is a, is a great author, and he was telling about a meeting with a couple one time that had come to his office for, for premarital counseling. They were about to get married, and they were discussing their wedding plans. When this future bride sitting in his office, just she just broke down in tears. She started to weep, and she started talking about a time when she was much younger, and she'd gotten involved with a married man. And she became pregnant, and she did not know what to do. And she was from a Christian family. But finally, she had the baby aborted. And it left within her a wound in her soul that would not heal. And she heard people talk about her issue in ways that, rightly or wrongly, that it was not right for her to share what had happened in her life and what she'd done. And so she just bottled it up inside. And the greatest fear of her life as she shared it 
was that it would not let her alone and that on her wedding day, as she walked down the aisle in her wedding dress, the memory of what had happened would continue to be like a knife in her heart and the problem would not go away and she could not forget it and she would not let it go and it would not let go of her. The issue is different for all of us. But I'm guessing for a good number of us, the thing that could prevent us from remembering Jesus in the right way, in the way that we, he asked us to remember him, is something that is lodged in our memory. It's a sin, it's a hurt, it's a heartache that we cannot forget. And it's in our heart and we can't let it go, and it won't let go of us. Even after experiencing the amazing grace, many of us continue to remember what we should forget. You see, the psalmist said in Psalm 103:12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, in addition to remembering the scene where Jesus broke the bread and and shared the cup in that upper room, I think it would do good for us to remember with whom he shared that first communion. In the coming hours, every single one of his close 12 friends that he shared communion with that night, every single one would either betray him, desert him, or deny him. Every single one. And yet, who did Jesus give the communion to? to those who would need his forgiveness. It was as if he was saying to each of them around the table that night, eat this bread, drink this cup, because a time is coming closer than you know when you're going to need forgiveness. A time is coming when your heart is going to be broken, when you're going to realize your need, and you're going to be repentant. And eating and drinking this meal ought to remind you that there are some things you should never forget and there are some things you should never remember. I want it to be a time where you recognize you don't have to carry the burden of guilt and shame anymore. It's receiving the grace of Jesus so that we can say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brothers and sisters, I, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Here's the last thing. God, God is the greatest rememberer as well as the greatest forgetter. The Bible teaches in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus did shed his blood, so there is forgiveness. Jesus said, this is a new covenant, a new agreement in my blood to be forgiven. He said, when you take on my forgiveness, the heavenly Father takes on a kind of voluntary amnesia, this all-knowing, all-powerful all-seeing, all-everywhere God says to his son, go, cancel the challenge of their 
legal indebtedness, all the laws that they've broken, all the times they've forsaken me, all the sins that they have committed, take them with you to be nailed to the cross. That's what Colossians 2.14 says. And in Hebrews 8.12, then I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. God chooses to blot it from his memory. You see, listen, friends, you are not just called to remember when we meet around the Lord's table. The good news is you're called to forget as you remember. A couple years ago, I heard the story of a young man that was making his way with his wife and kids to upper Minnesota for his vacation with his family. His family owned a place there, and they lived in Las Vegas where the summers would be anywhere between 103 and 115 degrees, and so northern Minnesota happened to be a good place to visit in the summer. They were driving their van across I-80 in Nebraska, and the guy said, my wife and kids fell asleep, and I thought, this is a good time to make some time. Nobody's up. Nobody's asking you to go to the bathroom. Nobody's asking to stop for snacks. And so he just dropped the accelerator, and he was making really good time until he saw the flashing lights in his rearview mirror. He pulled over, and his family groggily woke up as the Nebraska State Patrol officer asked, do you know why I pulled you over? He said, no, why did you pull me over? He said, well, you're in a 65-mile-an-hour zone, and you were driving close to 85 miles an hour. And the officer started writing him a ticket while he was explaining how the kids had been asleep, and his wife had been asleep, and is now giving him the death stare because he, he'd broken the law. And, and, and he was on vacation, he said to the officer, you know, I'm a Christian, and I was probably just praying, thinking about the Lord's forgiveness and God's grace, and it didn't make a difference. He still got the ticket. And he knew what to do. About a week later, he wrote his check out to the state of Nebraska, and his penalty was paid in full. Now, the very next summer, he would drive over the exact same spot, and do you think he was fretting about it? Do you think he was worried? I wonder if that same officer is around, and he recognizes my car and stops to see if I paid that ticket. No, because the penalty had been paid in full. In fact, in the coming years, he would drive over that same stretch of road many, many times, and not once, he said, did I feel a load of guilt. I didn't slink down in the seat and kind of peer over the steering wheel in, in embarrassment. I just celebrated. You know, I had a clean slate, and it was time to forget. And today is a healthy time to forget as well. By no means am I saying that you ought to repress stuff or gloss stuff over what I am saying and friends, every single one of us has woken up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and we were staring at the ceiling wondering why we did what we did. We have all done things knowing they could never be undone. But at communion, Jesus looked into the eyes of men who would betray him, men who would desert him in the coming hours. And he would say, God's heart towards you. God's desire for each of you, God's intention for you is not 
that you would be dragged down by the chains of, of guilt and shame, but that you would know forgiveness to the uttermost, complete, sufficient. So I'm going to pay your penalty with my blood so that you can fully live in forgiveness. Never let the memory of where you've been or what you have done keep you from remembering me. Remember me, the only one who could and did pay for your sins. Now, friends, that young man I talked about that drove over I-80, he didn't sweat it. He didn't live with guilt because of it because the penalty was paid and his conscience was clear. He could forget it. But at the same time, you can bet he remembered what his mistake had cost him. And it changed him a little bit. It made an impact on, on how he drove, and, and he drove a little slower. In fact, he used his cruise control a little bit more because the remembering changed him. When we come to this time of communion, Jesus says, I want you to remember, and I want it to change you. We are told in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. And that can be a painful thing. Sometimes there's a sting to that, but it's in those moments that our hearts and our actions and our souls, as we forget our sins, as we examine ourselves, and as we remember what our forgiveness cost, that we allow Christ to change our behaviors, our attitudes, our thoughts. And maybe, just maybe, as we travel down the road of life, we'll drive a little more careful as we remember. Well, let me close. You remember J Jimmy G that I talked about earlier? Uh, you, you may want to pretend like you do, even if you, even if you don't. <laughs> the doctor wondered if the disease, if the Karsakoff syndrome, had left Jimmy capable of any kind of meaningful spiritual life at all. And one day the doctor was walking down the hospital corridor and he, he passed by the chapel of the hospital and he noticed Jimmy. You know what he was doing? The doctor writes this. Jimmy was kneeling and he was receiving communion. I discovered that Jimmy went to chapel on a regular basis, it turned out, in order to receive communion. And he writes, when you see him there in that moment, it's as if Jimmy G was another person. All the anxiety, all the emotional confusion that surrounded him were gone, and he was focused. And he writes, there was a kind of peace about him that I didn't think he was capable of. And this is what he writes at the end of his account of Jimmy. In the moment of communion, Jimmy found his soul. Who you are, friends, it depends upon your ability to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. For when you remember, if you do it right, what was real once before becomes real once again. The amazing grace that you experienced the moment you first believed is fresh once again. And you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to ask if you would bow your head with me at this point. 
After I pray, we're going to sing a communion song. David Stigney is going to come and lead us in a thought, and then we're going to partake as a family. So it's a little bit different. As the men serve you today, I want you to hold the bread, and I want you to hold the cup. We're going to take it together this morning, and I'll lead you through that. But if you would, just bow and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I praise you for each part of our worship service. But Lord, this is the moment that it all builds to. The time we accept your invitation to come to your table, to examine ourselves, to remember you, your body and your blood, to remember the cost of our forgiveness. Lord, I thank you for giving us the minds that we have. I thank you for the lives that we have, that they are malleable and they can be shaped by you as the master potter. Lord, in this moment, there are so many things that you are aware of that, that we are aware of at times that nobody else in our life knows about. And you invite us just to surrender it to you to make sure we're not just going through the motions. Father, 2,000 years ago, on that first Palm Sunday, the multitudes were singing Hosanna to you, and just days later would change and cry, crucify, crucify. They'd heard your word so much, but they didn't remember us to remember. I pray this in Jesus' name.